Hello, and welcome to New Hope Christian Fellowship with Pastor John Gilbert. Moses had to ask God, God's asking, you're asking me to do something to go to the children of Israel. When I go there to Egypt, who should I say sent me? How, how shall I describe you? And he says, exactly, Nika, I am that I am has sent you. So God is describing himself. And he's saying, the Father, this is the Father, this is, I'm going to say the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he's describing himself. How interesting. Let's go on a journey over the weeks ahead and let's examine how God describes himself. And today, we go to the New Testament. So we've read a verse from the Old Testament and we're going to see the application in the New Testament. And I say that to Jan. Okay? So we read from the Old Testament, Exodus 3, and we're going to find the equivalent in the New, New Testament. Testament. Thank you. Well, not quite. We'll go there in a minute, Don. But I'm going to read this to you. Jesus said, the title today, I am the bread of life. Okay? And so I'm going to read a verse, John 6, 35. And it says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So, it's very good of you, thank you, and I'll repeat myself, that you all describe yourself in a certain way. And the more you think about that question, the more you'll be thinking about what you're really like, you know. So, we've all, everybody gave a good answer. But today, as I said, we're going to start our, a series of sermons and they all relate to what we call the I am statements of Jesus Christ. Echo and, Ami. Pardon? Echo Ami. That's the Greek. Echo. Oh, oh, oh. All right. Thank you, Dom. So, the first statement, as I've read to you already, is in um, is Exodus 3.14. And when Moses was up the mountain, Mount Horeb, and that bush was on fire, but yet it wasn't consumed. It wasn't burnt to ashes, but it was in a flame. All of this was a revelation to, the, to Moses. He, he just, wow, to come face to face with God. Up the mountain, it just blew his fuses. So, this statement that he heard was to help Israel understand and know who is the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That, they were their forefathers. 
And the children of Israel, there were many of them. I mean, some people estimate them to be, to be about like two million. There were supposed to be like 600,000 men, just men. And then they had wives, and then they had children. So some scholars, they estimate there to be like two million children of Israel in Egypt at this particular time. And they were under great oppression. You know, they were, you, you, you've probably seen it in the movies, like the Ten Commandments or something like that with Charlton Heston. And you see, like, the children of Israel making these bricks to become pyramids and things like this. So there they were, struggling. And God wanted to deliver them. And we read in that chapter that God wanted to deliver them from Egypt and Moses bring them up the mountain to worship God. And then they would go to this land, flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. And that's like a picture, even though it's Old Testament language, it's like a picture of us going to heaven. We've been escaping Egypt, and we're on our way to heaven. And whereas Moses was this Old Testament deliverer, Jesus is our New Testament deliverer, isn't he? That's the New Testament, New Testament equivalent. So as we move forward, 1,500 years after the time of Moses and this phenomenal deliverance in the book of Exodus with the children of Israel, 1,500 years later, Jesus comes on the scene the Lord Jesus, I should say. And what came out of his mouth? What came out of his mouth? Shot! Shot! His hearers. They were so enraged with what he said. And Dominic touched on a verse, and I think it's John 8.58, Dominic. Let's go to John 8.58. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Can you see where we're going? Before Abraham was, verily, verily, I say unto you, this is the new king, no, no, this is the King James Version, okay? Before Abraham was, I am. Wonderful. So Jesus is describing himself. And he's describing himself with the words of the very almighty God when he was up that mountain with Moses saying, I am who I am. And the Lord Jesus, some 2,000 years or 1,500 years after Moses, 2,000 years after Abraham, is saying, before Abraham was, I am. And the people that were listening to him, the Jews, what did they do? They said, oh, that's all right. That's okay. We can get on with each other then, can't we? That's what. They, did they say that? <laughs> Jackie knows her Bible. No, they didn't say that. Jethro knows his Bible. They picked up stones. And what were they going to do? 
They were going to murder Jesus. They were going to stone him to death because they didn't like the fact that a man was declaring himself to be God. A man is declaring himself to be the Almighty. To them it was to them it was blasphemy, but to Jesus it was reality. See, as we study these concepts or these, this series, we want to get to know Jesus. We want to understand Jesus. We want to know who he really is. He's God. He's God. The second person of the Trinity. God in the flesh. But people didn't quite understand that. So, in the Bible, the Bible describes eight, apart from that statement in, Mo, in, in Exodus, when God says, I am who I am, there are eight statements of I am by the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. And you can find seven of them in one gospel. And anybody know what, whose gospel that is? Oh, we've got some good students here. I needn't teach any of you, do I, Dominic? I can let you preach yourselves. Seven of those statements are in John's gospel. Seven is a special number, isn't it, in the Bible, Dom? It is the number of perfection. Okay, and does anybody, can any of you students, you scholars, you believers of the word of God, can any of you tell me where the eighth statement is? Scratch that head. Matthew, Hebrews. Hebrews. <laughs> it's in the book of Revelation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to ask you questions, and I'm glad that you, you're examining yourself, you're thinking of it. And something that we need to know and understand the book of Revelation. I haven't preached many sermons from the book of Revelation, but it's a book about the, the future. It's about the current and about the future. It's worth reading. The, the Bible says it, about the book of Revelation, it says, blessed is the person who reads the words of this book. So we want to read the words of the whole Bible. So anyway, two questions. What does this statement, I am, mean? And, and I'm already answering it myself, really. But what does it mean? What does it mean to us? And how? I mean, I'm, it's three questions now, really. I'm adding to it as I go along. How does this, these statements apply to each of us? This is good. Worth considering and worth thinking about. Let's answer these, these questions. First heading today is that Jesus is the source of life. How do we know this? Well, go back to John's Gospel. We go back to chapter 1. And it says in verse 3, All things were made by him or through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Wow. 
we could go on. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. All things, all things were made by him. We go to Genesis, we go to chapter 1, and we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, the New Testament tells us Jesus made everything. The Old Testament says God created. Jesus is God in the flesh. That's what we're gathering. That's what we're understanding. We don't have to travel too far into these I am statements to work out who Jesus is. All plant life, all animal life, God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created him male and female doesn't say any other thing anything else just male and female I'll stop there for a minute some people got a problem with that in our society but that's what it says he created them then God blessed them God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves along the earth. John says, we go back to John. John says in chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. In God, in Jesus, is life. It's incredible. Jesus knows how to create life. Why do I wish I knew this when I was a youngster?
incredible. You know, have you ever thought about it? That the Bible has got a high regard for life. It's, life is precious. Life comes from God, as we've been saying. It means that it's precious. God creates. God creates life. Today's society, life does not have as much value as the Bible says it should have. Life has departed in a certain way from our society in a way, what I I mean by this is that we hear of this word abortion. Very sad. In 19, I don't, I don't know the year exactly, but about 1967, 1969 or somewhere around then, some of you older people might remember, but abortions became legal. The laws of these countries, of the, not just the UK, but America, around the world, it was okay, it was legal to have an abortion at a certain clinic. You know, this life that's growing within a woman, in her womb, that you could just get rid of it. This has been going on a long time. And if you could add up, I mean, Dominic might be able to find out a figure, as he usually does, doesn't he, right? But if we could work out how many unborn babies have been terminated since 1967 or 69, whatever the year was, what that number is, what that figure is, would... Staggering. 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 Do you know, I will say this to you, I've often thought about this point. If there was no legal abortion agenda and never happened, probably all of us would have twice as many friends that's what we got, if you've got any friends. But you'd have double the amount because you'd say there'd be other people that you never knew that ever existed because their lives were terminated when they were in someone's womb. 8.8 million in the UK. Pardon? 8.8 million in the UK. England and Wales. England and Wales between 1968 and Really? Wow. 8.8 8 million, I think, Dominic said. A lot of people. That's just in the UK. Just in, Amer- in, in Great Britain, in England, or the United Kingdom. There's another thing that goes on today. It's called euthanasia. It's, a, it's, it's where people have a thing called assisted dying. If you're very ill, you know, you can say, tell your doctor, well, doctor, I don't feel well. I don't think my, worth, my life's worth living. In fact, Doc, I need to die as soon as I can. Could you help me? Could you put me to sleep, as it were? Or shall I go down to the vets and get them to inject something into my arm? This is something that they talk about in science in, and in hospitals. You know, there are... There are educated men and women that sit down and they have meetings and they discuss about this thing called euthanasia. You know, if 
if we could examine the budget of the money that goes to the NHS and how much is spent throughout the year, there are people scratching their heads thinking, how can we bring this budget down? Oh, I've got an idea. Why don't we assist people to die and to pop their clogs before their time? Is that God's will? It's not. It's not God's will. You know, it ends life before God's appointed time of death. That's what it does. Recently, recently in the, in the news, I've been sort of hearing about this story where there's a little boy, he's very ill. He's only a youngster, he's a little baby. He's about, I think he's about six months old or something like that. But he's been so ill that the, the NHS, the doctors have been saying, we're going to turn off his life support machine. And his mum and dad are saying, no, don't! He's getting better! No, he's not, they're saying. He's dependent on that life support machine. But they're saying he's getting better because he, his strength is getting stronger. You know, if I give him my finger, he can squeeze my finger. And the mum noticed that he's getting stronger because of the way he's holding on to her. Well, they were going to, I was going to say, use the word, they were going to execute him. But I shouldn't use that word. They were going to turn that machine off. And when she put her foot down, they couldn't. So they had to go back to court. This was only recently. And they could see, honestly, that this little baby boy is getting better. And it's going to court even now. So, life, life is from God. Life is from the Lord and it is sacred. Your life is sacred. Thank the Lord. We have to thank the Lord that we weren't terminated when we were little unborn babies. Don't we? God has given us life. My next point is that the Lord Jesus, he is the sustainer of life. That's what he is. Amen. How do I know this? Well, I'm going to give you some examples. He said he's the, I am the, the bread, he said, didn't he, in that verse. I read it, was it John 6, 35 people? I think it was John 6 35 he said and Jesus said I am the bread of life okay we're talking about food aren't we when we talk about bread we like bread you've got bread at home haven't you who doesn't have a loaf of bread at home we all got bread I don't know what your favourite bread is, but I've got some bread here. This morning, we had boiled eggs and soldiers. Brown bread, nice, lovely brown bread from Sainsbury's. But I actually saw it was a new fresh loaf yesterday. And I looked in the bin and Maya had thrown out the old bread. You don't like old bread, do you? You don't want stale bread. 
you want a nice bit of fresh bread. Oh, look at that. That is fresh. Oh, that's lovely. It's so fresh, may yet just baked it for us. But there is bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And I'm going to bring up a few points here. Bread is vital to sustain life. If we don't eat bread, if we don't eat something, what's going to happen? No one is strong enough not to eat food. Huh? Bob, you're the oldest among us. Have you ever met anybody in your life that has not eaten anything? You've seen people starving. You were starved as well. You told us for a week. But you got ill, didn't you? You got ill. See? If you don't eat, you'll get ill, you'll start to die. But we eat bread. We eat food. Because we know we can't live long without it. Can you? Anybody live long without eating some bread? If you don't eat, you will die very, very soon. And if you don't drink, you hydrate. Thank you. There's a word that people use for people that don't eat food. It's called anorexia. Ever heard of that? Well, I'm glad I don't suffer with it because I like my food. Some people, they refuse to eat food because they think they're getting fat. And there was a dear woman, her name was Karen Carpenter. And some of you remember that name because back in the 70s, we used to love listening to those pop songs by Karen Carpenter. Stop, oh yeah, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Do you remember that? She was such a good singer. She could play instruments as well, like her brother. But she was very, very good. And she's very good looking, wasn't she? And, I mean, I never known her to get very big or, or large, but she just started to diet. And, and you notice a lot of women... A lot of women that are on the TV, like Fiona Bruce, and I like Fiona Bruce, but she's living on salad to look the way she does. And so does Victoria Beckham. You know, you can't look like that and, and eat spaghetti bolognese and, and, you know, fish and chips. We love our fish and chips, me and Mayette. And... Eat a lot of rabbit. Dave?
Yeah. She was very good looking. Oh. All right, yeah, and can you see? Ten minutes I got. Okay, let me tell you something. I'll tell you this. God provides food for life. That's what God does. How do we know that? Well, I'll tell you this. The children of Israel had to walk around the wilderness for 40 years, didn't they? Well, they must have ate something in that time, surely. And they did. God fed them from, with manna, which is bread, some sort of bread, from above. It rained down from the heavens. God fed them for 40 years. 40 years. You've got to live on bread. And I think if we examine, if we examine the ex exodus, it will be quail. You know, he gave them quail as well. But basically, he gave them manna from above. The Lord Jesus came down from above. He is the bread of life. He comes down to give us life. He is the bread of life. There was a prophet in the book of Kings called Elijah. And there was a famine in the land. For three years, I think, people were starving. And Elijah was fed by a widow. God sustained him. God gave him food. The ravens came to feed him as well, brought food to him. God knows who to sustain. It's the Lord who gives eternal life. Not just life here on earth, but we're going to die one day. We're going to put our claws and the Lord will sustain us into eternity. He knows how to do that. In fact, if you believe in Jesus, even now, if you're trusting him for your salvation, then you're Eternal life has started even now, while we live. He was born in Bethlehem. We know about that, don't we? Micah 5.2 tells us. Every Christmas we, we read the scriptures. But did you know that Bethlehem means place of bread? Place of bread. I am the bread of life, he says. He came from the place of of bread. How incredible. Joey, Jeffro, they did communion this morning with us. It's bread. We break bread. Every two weeks we have communion bread. And what does this symbolise? What does this represent? 
exactly the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we feed upon it, don't we? And we know in the scriptures it says, as often as you meet together, do this in remembrance of me. We do it every two weeks. Incredible. So, how can you receive the bread of life? Well, Jesus says, come unto me. It's very simple. Come unto me. Will we come? Will you come? Come unto me. And as you do, and as we do, you will receive salvation. It's incredible. He is the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. The Lord Jesus, third point, final point, gives satisfaction in life. That's what he does. How do we know this? Well, the verse says that, he says this, in the verse, John 6, 35, he that comes to me, he that comes to me, shall never hunger. That's a fantastic thing. What does it mean? Well, Christ satisfies your innermost desires. You know, I've been a Christian for 30 odd years. 30, I, don't, I don't know the exact number, but it's a long time. But before I became a believer, I was always looking for satisfaction. I was always looking for the next buzz. You know, whether it was drugs or a, a pop festival or a, a, a flashy car or, or something like that. I was looking for satisfaction and I wasn't alone. Even Mick Jagger wrote a song about it and I've said it before, he couldn't get no satisfaction. And perhaps you were the same. I bet you were. I know Paul used to go raving at the, you know, these warehouse raves or, or down in the woods with the teddy bears. <laughs> hey, Christ satisfies our inner desires. And, you know, all... I have to say it, all other desires fail. They fail to meet me where I'm at. They fail to satisfy what I'm really after. I've done it all, people. Not everything. There are some things some people have done. I wouldn't even dream about it. But I've done a lot. When I was young, I was a tattoo artist. I was a druggie. I was all sorts of things. I was looking for satisfaction. You know, seven years ago, a very rich man in this world, his name's Rupert Murdoch, and something happened to him seven years ago. You know what he said? I am the happiest man in this world. Do you know why? He married Jerry Hall. Yeah. You know the Texan model? Long legs, long blonde hair, yeah? He got to marry her. Well, he thought she fancied him. He was an old... Sorry, Bob. He was an old man! Full of wrinkles! 
And she was all like, you know what I'm saying. He said, well, I'm the happiest man alive. Yeah, mate, because of the money that you got. She'll go and do anything. I'm sorry, to, this might go, I might get in trouble. Well, there you go. She was looking for satisfaction. He was looking for satisfaction. You know what I'm talking about, right? But in the papers recently, Bob knows the story, they're getting a divorce. Do you think he's the happiest man alive now? I don't think so. She's happy. She's getting a bit of money. It's coming. <laughs> he's, not, he's not happy anymore. <laughs> he's the unhappiest man in the world. You see what people are trying to find their satisfaction in something. But our satisfaction is in the Lord. He sustains us. He gives us satisfaction. Only Jesus can meet your true, honest need. And, and you know, where this fails people, they go for the drugs, they go for the drink, they go for the success road, right? They go for the lust, they go for the greed. And I was thinking, for the last couple of years, we've all been witnesses. Bob reads the Daily Mail, but we've been witnesses of this Grizzlane Maxwell affair and, and Epstein. And is she satisfied now? 20 years inside for everything that she done? Well, she was rubbing shoulders with the rich and the famous, with royalty. And this guy that was a banker. You see where people will, what people will do, where people will go for satisfaction. And now she's going to end her life in 20 years of misery just because she wanted what she wanted and she was prepared to go to the extreme to satisfy her lust and her greed. It's what people do. Shocking. Will you do that? Only Jesus Christ can satisfy your innermost desires. Only Jesus will know and does know how to make a man and a true woman out of you. Only the Lord. None of these other things satisfy. He is true satisfaction and it's found in him. I'll close now and um, just go to my conclusion. When we come believing in him, humbly, just face to face with him, you'll find out who you really are. I asked you, some of you, to describe yourself at the beginning. And, and some of our, 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 the way our brain works, the sin that is within us can deceive us. The heart itself, the, the Bible says it's deceit, deceitful above all things. And if we commit our life to Jesus, if we surrender to him, he knows how to come into your life and to change you. 
He doesn't need you to go through a religious ceremony where you're doing all this, getting these coals and, and, and offering him funny incenses and lighting a candle and, and, and smelling all these funny smells in the building. He don't want you to do all of that. He just wants you to come and feed from his broken body and live your life out these days that we have on earth feeding on him his broken body and as we do that what do we become we become the body of Christ the body of Christ that's who we become that's our identity here in this world will you come to him come unto me and feed off me he says and you will have life. You'll have such life in you going through your veins. You won't have to go through the hardships and the pains that some people are looking for and searching for in this world. Come to Jesus. Come to him. You won't have to thirst. You won't have to hunger because he will satisfy. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we do come to you, we do pray to you, we do hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for you, Lord Jesus. We want to know you. We want to take part in what you're doing. We want to understand the great I am of the Bible. And we pray, Lord, we pray for everybody here and in the hall outside, Lord, Nika and the kids and Mayette, Michael, we just pray, Lord, that all of us can have a fresh encounter with you. Even our brothers and sisters that were unable to make it today, they had a desire to be here, but they're not well for some reason. We ask your blessing on them, Lord. We ask your blessing on us here, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We meet at Grove Hill Community Center at 11.30 p.m. in Hemel Hempstead. God bless you.